You're listening to the City Lights Podcast. We are currently in a series called Covered in Dust, a journey through the book of Matthew, looking at the life, ministry, and relationship that Jesus had with his disciples that would later bring the kingdom of heaven through normal, everyday people. Thanks for joining us. A series that's all throughout the book of Matthew that's focused on discipleship. Um, Matthew was a Jewish writer, uh, so Matthew um, wanted to communicate in the rabbinical tradition um, what it meant to follow him as a rabbi, but then find out he was a rabbi like none other. And so out of the rabbinical code and tradition came this saying that um, a good disciple, a disciple that really was getting what the purpose of discipleship was, was covered in the dust of their rabbi because they followed the rabbi so closely. And uh, because Matthew is a longer book and because we're covering it thematically from January through June, we kind of divided the segments into chunks. And so there was different... um, different little bookmarks or earmarks throughout the book of Matthew that we've been looking at. The first one was Matthew 5 through 7, um, and that was the Sermon on the Mount. We called that chunk or segment following Jesus from the inside out. Um, Following that, there was a segment that was called following Jesus from the outside in, focused on Matthew 8 through 10, which was all about the miracles, the healings, the signs and wonders of Jesus, and all the things that that meant for his disciples. And today we are beginning our third segment in the book of Matthew, and that is called following Jesus from blindness to belief, following Jesus from blindness into belief. One of the last chapters in our segment in Matthew 13 talks about this parable where he says that the human heart is like soil. He says that the human heart uh, has seeds that are scattered on it that represent the word of God, the truth of God, the, the ability to see and know and talk about and think about God. Those are all considered seeds in this metaphor. And he's saying that uh, the seeds are going to fall on all different kinds of people. And, and they're the same seed, and the seed is, is, um, is, is fertile enough to, to create life and to create fruit. Uh, the seed is quantitatively, qualitatively the same in each of its divided parts, but the seed is going to fall on different soils, and only the soils that are, that are soft, only the soils that receive the seed actually grow up with fruit. Actually, they grow a lot of fruit. It says 30, 60, and, and, and 100 fold. And so the, the, the series, the segment really, uh, following Jesus from blindness to belief, is really more um, about, less about really uh, the, the theological pursuit of trying to understand God and more of, I would call, the intimacy relational pursuit of trying to be close with God or drawing near to God. As a matter of fact, um, if you look at some of the scriptures that we'll read, and we'll kind of get into some of these passages today, Jesus is pretty flabbergasted, as we could be too, in watching all this go down. He's like, you know, Chorazin and, um, and Tyre, these cities that should have believed in Jesus. Uh, he's performing all these miracles. He's performing the, he, he just, he gave the best sermon that the world's ever heard. They literally said, you know, word for word, this is the most authoritative sermon we've ever heard. This guy speaks with authority as one that knows God. And, and they're listening to this stuff, and he says, but it's amazing how stubborn-hearted you are, that you can't believe. It's amazing how I'm performing all these miracles that you can admit that only God could perform these miracles, but yet you still walk away blind. And so there's this theme that develops that we'll look at today and on through the next couple of weeks up until Easter, but this theme that develops that, that we don't actually, we're not seeing what we're seeing is what Jesus is saying. We don't actually see with our eyes. The scriptures say in several places, especially you know, in Matthew 5, but in other places as well, is that vision actually doesn't come from our eyes. Uh, that vision actually comes from our heart, is that we're not seeing with, our, with, with, with what makes sense and adding it up and actually coming to the right conclusion. Actually, we see what we want to see. 
We see what our heart sees. We see what we like. We see what we love. We see what it is that we idolize in some cases. And so the journey from blindness into belief is less about proof and more about nearness. Let me pray for us, and we'll look at um, our first segment, or our first passage today. So Jesus, I thank you for um, this morning, um, which is unique to every other morning. And I thank you that right now you're going um, to challenge us to open our eyes. I believe that's what this scripture um, is doing, is that we don't know what we don't know. Um, and so I pray that you would just right now even nudge and provoke and stir um, each of us in this room to realize we don't know what we don't know, and we can't see what we can't see. And so, God, would you, would you supernaturally uh, interrupt, would you supernaturally provoke us, God, that we would open our heart that we would realize we don't see as much as we think that we do. We'd open our heart, purify our heart, God, that we might see God um, in our midst. And we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's see, how many people in here um, are either married or in long-term relationships? Let's just get a quick hand. We'll get a quick poll. It's a good, good amount, half the room about, okay? All right. Um, let, let's, let, let's play a little game. Instead of never have I ever, uh, I don't know how you would call the opposite of that, like, Ever have I ever? I always, I don't know what you would call that, but let's just see. Um, raise your hand, and this is kind of like, you know, like it, it, these aren't going to be the most fun, you know, things to raise your hand to, so I might, I might have to catch you guys as your hands pop up in the air, but um, how many of you guys, if you're in a, in a close relationship, um, have ever gotten into a conflict or a, uh, a, an intense marital fellowship moment? Anybody here gotten into a fight before? Good old rip roaring. Okay, good. That's good. Getting warmed up. Um, anybody, and be honest, anybody inside of that uh, marital conflict, intense moment of fellowship um, have ever thrown something, even if a pillow, even a pillow, have you ever thrown a pillow, uh, a Barbie doll, uh, anything like that? Okay, good. No throwers in the audience. That's good. Yeah, what'd you say? Slammers? Sure, any of those things would have counted. Yeah. Um, how about um, the silent treatment? How many people out here just have, could admit, sometimes I, I just get real quiet with my spouse and I just put them in the old doghouse. I've done that before for sure. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of some other ones that, that, that I have here. Um, uh, how, how many of you guys, let's see, how many of you guys have ever, um, oh, wow, this is a good one. How many of you guys have ever realized that the reason why you're upset at your spouse is because you're expecting them to read your mind and, and you're upset because they don't know what you want? And then they say, what do you want? You're like, I just want you to know what I want. I don't want you to ask me what I want. I just want you to know what I want. I want you to do what I want that I haven't told you to do. Okay, right? We're guilty of these things. Um, the reason why I know um, that the hands would go up and the reason why I think we'd all imagine that they do is because um, all of us in, in broken, work, walking out our salvation relationships um, all have uh, these things called expectations. You know what I'm talking about? Expectations is, you know, in the Webster Dictionary, the thing that you expect or the thing that you desire or demand sometimes from other people. Um, expectations uh, can absolutely be just a, a relationship killer. Um, it, it absolutely can be a relationship killer. Um, as a matter of fact, like, you know, doing pastor work and, um, and officiating weddings and doing premarital counseling, a lot of times when it is that people kind of get together to get married in, in the very beginning of their relationship, they, um, they're actually more you can tell kind of getting married to the idea of marriage than actually the person themselves, you know what I'm saying? Like you can tell as they talk about their expectations, they have this kind of Cinderella story or, you know, maybe a little bit less cliche than that, but they have this kind of like, we're going to go live on a farm and, you know, raise goats together and whatever it is that the person is dreaming about. And they have this ideal of what the marriage is, an ideal of what that person's going to be like. But as you're looking at this person, you're going, this is not meeting the ideal or the expectation. And as you know, most of the time, expectations, especially silent ones, um, are very rarely met, you know, in people. 
uh, expectations uh, that we have, spoken or unspoken, with relationships, whether you're single or not, you know that when you have that expectation and you kind of zero in myopically on that one thing that you're waiting on that person to do, and either you told them or you didn't tell them to do it, and then they don't do it, it's really hard to almost see anything else about that person. It's really hard to see all of the good things about your spouse or your friend or your mom or your dad when you're just myopically tunneling in on the one thing that they're not doing. They're just not picking up that towel. Like, why don't they keep their phone on if they would just keep their phone? I've told them a hundred times. I don't know why their phone is off. It just bothers me. And you have this one little thing, and it's hard to see when you're myopically looking narrowly at one expectation to see the larger picture. So the story uh, that we're going to look at in Matthew chapter 11 starts with John the Baptist. And John the Baptist is a man of great expectation. John the Baptist was actually um, a prophet uh, that Jesus calls Elijah, and his job was to point to Jesus, to point the way to Jesus. It's kind of like when you're driving to Disney World, you know, the mile signs go down from 90 miles to 60 miles to 30 miles, and there was all these prophets in the Old Testament to point to Jesus, but he was like warmer, 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 red hot. He was the last sign, like one mile to Disney World. This is it. This is the Messiah. This is who you've been waiting for. So he had a very important role, and Jesus recognized it. He said, there's never been a man, birth of a woman, greater than this guy, John the Baptist. He's the prophet that's going to prepare the way uh, for me to come. And he had so much expectation in his life that he actually was the first worshiper. I can't think of another example in the scriptures of a worshiper who worshiped in the womb. Some of you guys are like, I'm a praise baby. I've been praising since I was born. I, I don't know if that's true, but if you guys remember right back in the Christmas story when his, when his father was like smitten and not able to, to speak because of how important this, marriage, or this, uh, this um, uh, pregnancy was, Elizabeth, his mother, uh, traveled to go see Mary, and it said the womb jumped inside of her. I mean, this is how much this dude loved and, and, and knew and expected uh, who, who Jesus was. And so uh, this, this, this life of expectation really kind of finds this critical um, conflict and, and, and um, collision, really, with what ultimately becomes of the end of John's life, not when he was first born, but the end of John's life. The scriptures say in John chapter 11 that John is in prison in verse 2. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah... He sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? Okay, so this prophet guy, Elijah, uh, he's a, a killer preacher. He's the best hype man ever. He's the sidekick for Jesus. He's pointing the way to Jesus. And he, of, of all people, the greatest people that has been born of a woman, uh, should get front row tickets to at least the goodness of God, if not um, some of the miracles of God or see some of the fruit of his labor. But yet it seems that when Jesus's popularity is growing, John's popularity and John's exposure to influence and in ministry is waning. And now instead of being on the front lines of ministry with Jesus, he's locked up in a prison cell, wondering whether or not Jesus actually is who he says he is. And so he asks him this question, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? Now, the key here is to understand when he says the word expect, uh, when he says expectation there, we need to kind of try and empathize and get under the hood and understand what he means by this expectation. So we can actually go back earlier to Matthew chapter three, when he baptized Jesus um, in the Sea of Galilee. It says in verse seven, this is one of the sermons, by the way, that the prophet John the Baptist is preaching. His favorite sermon topic, by the way, is repent. You know, those preachers that just only preach one topic. This is his topic, right? Repent. This is, you know, his MO. So verse seven, he says, when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he says, to him, you brood of vipers. 
That's the sermon title I'm going to do next year when nobody's here. I'm going to be like, brood of vipers, you guys are awful. No, I'll never say that. Uh, but John the Baptist does, and he's a, he's a very unpopular preacher because of this, because he cuts straight to the chase. And some of us in this room have that prophetic gift and uh, know what it's like sometimes to say unpopular things. He was unpopular for good purposes sometimes. And he warns uh, them to flee from the coming wrath. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. Okay, so he's cutting deep. He's he's. he's He's doing deep work there. I mean, he's like your mama, like your mama jokes would be one thing. He's like going into Abraham father jokes to Jewish people. This is not good, right? So he's preaching this repent message. He's preaching that your ways are crooked, that you are a, a decrepit generation, that you're sinful, that you're arrogant, and that you're prideful. You need to turn back to God. And all that preaching got him in a lot of trouble because he called out one of the political higher ups in the system. And that's how he uh, got put into prison. And so here it is that we see, I think, some of the expectation of, of John the Baptist and why expectation has caused John the Baptist into a place of doubt, into a place of blindness. He says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And then it says, his winnowing fork is in his hand. A winnowing fork is like this thing that you'd go through the field and you'd separate the grain from the, from the weeds and you would just tear the whole field up. I mean, you move through, you're the enforcer, you're the one that, that's the final judge, the pronouncement, you're the, you're the uh, equalizer, if you will. You come in and you just equalize the field. And, and so, so thematically he's saying, Jesus is coming, he's going to be this winnowing fork. He's going to separate the, the wheat from the chaff. He's going to separate the goats from the sheep. He's going to separate the good from the evil. He's going to make sure that that righteousness gets its reward and, and evil gets its punishment. So he's going to come and justify this thing. And he says, Jesus is going to come with his winnowing fork and he's going to clear the, the threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning it up with ch chaff for unquenchable fire. So this is John. He's so confident. He's robust and zealous in who Jesus is and confident in why he's come. And he's the front person in the front row seat, hyping everybody up, telling everybody who Jesus is. And now he's in prison. And, and we go back to that original verse in verse 3. Are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? So in the segments, there's actually three different things that we'll focus on. The first one is expectation, but there's three things that I think in the next couple weeks that we'll look at that I think are stumbling blocks for us and called blindness in spiritual ways. And the very first thing I think that causes us spiritual blindness is the, is the word that, that John uses, and I think appropriately in verse 3 here, is this word expectation. Expectation is the thing that is, 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 is what I'm looking for from God, uh, and if he's not doing this, he's no longer God. Expectation is the thing that um, if God isn't doing this all the time, then God is not good all the time. Expectation is the box that I put God in. Expectation is the thing that I'm looking for for him to do, and I'm waiting for that thing to happen. And until that, I'm just a suffering servant until it happens, and I have reason to have doubt, and I have reason to be stuck, and I have a reason to be upset and bitter and, and, and unforgiving. Expectation is the thing that has John in prison, the one who should have known God, doubting whether or not he was actually God in the first place. And so one of the first things that I think we can see in this passage as we try and think about for those in the room that say, hey, I struggle. I'm struggling right now. This is a season of blindness for me. I can't see God anywhere. I feel upside down. I feel backwards. I feel like I can't hear God's voice in the scriptures. I can't hear God's voice from people. I can't see God. I don't know where he is. Everywhere I turn, it's just blindness. It's just black. It's just bleak. There's nothing for me. I can't understand where God is. And, and, and as we see in this, in this passage, we have a lot in common with this, with this man in a prison. Because, because 
what, what happens is, is the expectation of who Jesus is supposed to be. Jesus, you're the hammer. You're the enforcer. I'm your servant. Come, come be the hammer in my life. Come justify your righteous servant. Come, come extradite. Come get rid of these, these, you know, the, these Gentiles, these people that have locked me up in chains. Vindicate me, God. I'm your servant. Aren't you supposed to be the winner? Aren't you supposed to, aren't I supposed to be on the winning team? This is what Jesus replies. He says, go back and report to John what you hear and what you see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor and blesses anyone who doesn't stumble on account of me. John was, John was an old covenant guy. John was reading Isaiah 35, different from Jesus was reading Isaiah 35, the prophecy that Jesus just read. John thought that he came to bring justice to the nations, not justification to individuals, not, not forgiveness from sin or salvation from sin. He, he thought that, that he was coming to give rescue from the Romans. And, and so what happened is his, the form, formula of his mind, the framework of the way that he was seeing the future and the present interpreted things the wrong way. He was so locked in his prison in, in Rome, but also locked in the prison of his mind. He was expecting Jesus to show up in another way. And so as Jesus was working in the way he wasn't expecting, he wasn't able to see what God was doing because he was so stuck on what God had yet, yet to do. And blindness can creep into our life in this way when we draw a box around God and say, if you don't do this, God, you're not God. Blindness can really beset us when our, when our, when our vision narrows into our little life and our little existence and our day and our moment in time. And, and we get stuck and narrowed and we, we completely horse blind from the, the entire circumference of, of the narrative, from, from, from life, from our neighbors, from things that are going on, uh, even in our church, in our families, and so forth, we can get so stuck on this one thing. Why doesn't this change, God? I've been waiting for this for so long. I've been praying for this for so long. And this, and this one thing, although, although it's not bad to pray in faith, and it's not bad to ask God specific prayers, if we're not careful, the blindness of, of expecta expectation can make us blind from, from all the good things that God is doing. And so th this, is, uh, this is the way that I, that I have it um, on the screen, kind of a sermon in a sentence here, is that, that God, is often, God is often using disappointment, even when we think the disappointment has come to take us hostage. We're in the prison for a purpose, and God often is growing our faith by disappointment and disappointing our expectations. And you're going, but God, this thing, like this thing, it, it refutes who you are. This, this sickness, this struggle, the thing that I'm working with right now, it's, it flies in the face of everything who you are. So God, how are you who you are? And this thing is existing, uh, still existing and coexisting with, with your kingdom reality in my life. And Jesus says, he says, John, you're, you're in the prison. You haven't heard from me in months and you haven't seen the kingdom coming and the kingdom going. You haven't seen that the blind are having their sight restored, that the deaf, dead are being raised, the deaf are given their hearing, the blind can see. You haven't seen that the prophecy is being fulfilled because you're so stuck in the expectation that you've become blind of everything that I want to do. And so, and so the, the statement I'm making this morning is that potentially that this disappointment is actually an, an, an invitation to see God in, in a bigger way. I don't know if you've ever just thrown a complete just pity party for yourself. Have you ever just gone all out and just bought streamers for the thing? And wrote, woe is me, just on the chalkboard. Just really had a, a, good, old, a good old pity party. And, and, and it's funny, like, how pity parties like that, they can really just make you focus on the mustard stain of life. You know, you get that shirt, 
and it's a great shirt, and it's a beautiful white thing, and it's perfect, but then the one little stain hits it, and like that's all that you're focused on is, God, this one little thing that, that you're stuck on. And then sometimes it's like, you know, it's like a Facebook thing, or somebody calls you or texts you, and, and, or maybe some emergency comes up, like somebody calls you and really, really needs your help, and all of a sudden, instead of being stuck in your little box, in your little world, you get pulled out of that into somebody else's world, and you have to empathize. Or you get invited to a birthday party, you know, and it's like you don't really want to go to the birthday party, and you just want to be alone by yourself, and you just want to sit in the corner, and you, and you show up to the thing, and you start talking, you start connecting, and, and it's like, uh, this is what I'm trying to explain, like your eyes kind of get wider, and you're like, oh yeah, it's not all about me. Has that ever happened to you? I feel so embarrassed when I do that. I'll get in the corner, I'll be sulking about something, and all that matters is this one thing. I mean, what? I don't know. Somebody, like, rubbed me the wrong way. Somebody, you know, like, criticized me, or somebody, like, didn't do this or did that, whatever it was I expecting, and they don't even know, right? You, I mean, let's be honest with ourselves. A lot of the stuff that we're talking about, we're not getting locked up in prisons. We preach these really big sermons, like, oh, we're locked up in a prison. It's like, okay, like, somebody didn't call you back, and you're really upset about it, and you're stuck on it. And it's this mustard stain on the shirt, and you can't see all the other things that are going on. And then, and, then, and then circumstance or the Lord or whatever brings you out, and all of a sudden you're engaged, and you're like, the world is bigger than me. And there's this gift, really, to understand God in a bigger way because life's not about me, and not everything is about now. When I'm focused on me and now, I can lose perspective on him and eternity. But, but when I can see the kingdom coming, it's like, goodness gracious, like Rusty in our church, like his... His daughter, I don't know if you guys, you know, these are just some of the stories that I hear because I'm here a lot, you know, but, but Rusty and our church had a daughter going through like a real serious issue at, with, with her pregnancy and they were very, very worried about the baby. There was like a cyst there and they were worried about the surgery and all that stuff and we prayed for it at men's group. We prayed for it in, in the prayer room and it's like he reports back and I'm, you know, whatever, having a good day, bad day or whatever and all of a sudden he reports back, it's like, God is good. God, God touched, you know, the situation. The doctor completely had the surgery go completely as, as, as better than you could ever expect or imagine. And, and my daughter's healed and we're having a baby. And it's like, whoa, I was so worried about, you know, the medical bill that I just got. Or I'm so worried about the insurance card that just came in. Or I'm so, so worried about the filling that I have in my mouth. And I got to go to the dentist. I'm so worried about a jury duty, which I still have jury duty every Tuesday. So you can pray for me about that. But my little life got so small that I tried to fit God into it. And I couldn't see the bigger picture. And what if this appointment was an opportunity to get invited into seeing God in a bigger way? And so um, this, is, this is the intentional question that I want us to, to, to think about today. How is disappointment of what, what God is yet to do blinding us potentially from seeing God and all that he is doing? How is disappointment narrowing in on something that we're wanting God to do, expecting and, 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 and needing him to do to be good, how could that be potentially blinding us from the things uh, that he wants to do? With, with, our, with our spouse, it's the same exact way. With friendships, it's the same exact way. When we are focused in on the one thing that they're not doing, it's amazing how just kind of like zoned in we are on that thing. And it's funny, right? Because you go and go to small group, right? Or you go and hang out with friends or family and they think your wife is great. You know, they'll meet your dad and you're like, my dad is so weird. Like, that's literally what, I, you know, it's like, I'm like, my dad's crazy. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll bring him to this party thing and like, I hope he doesn't like offend anybody and whatever. And I bring my dad to these things and I'm just like figuring, I'm like, oh wait, my dad's awesome. Why am I so scared that my, like my dad's going to offend somebody? He's a great guy. It's like because we spend time with people and we see the mustard stain on their shirt. We see the one little thing, the speck in their eye, 
and we're like, they're awful, right? And we just zone in on that thing, and that's what kills marriages. That's how marriages end up that way. Most of them, they just end up, you know, really strained and stressed off of small things. I'm not trying to mitigate the fact that there are very detrimental, hurtful things that go on in relationships, and there's absolutely reasons to create boundaries and distance, but a lot of the times, we get in fights over stupid stuff, and we're just narrowing in. I think that's a lot of times when we think about blindness, that comes to mind when, when we're asking ourselves, what's making us blind? What would cause a good word of God, a good day in the Lord, a moment in church, an opportunity to worship, an invitation to prayer? What would cause the seed of that thing to get snatched up out of our heart? The scriptures say it's the worries of life, it's the love of money, and it's persecution. It's these things that actually have nothing to do with Jesus. Jesus is saying, I perform these miracles. If I perform these miracles... You know, like if I performed them in Sodom and Gomorrah, which is like the worst city of all time, they would have 10 times repented over. The sign of Jonah, like, like you're, you're not just going to represent, see, like Nineveh repented over Jonah because a guy came out of whale. I died, stayed in the ground for three days and was resurrected and there's no faith. And then we look back in the mirror and we realize, oh, faith actually isn't about God proving something. Faith is about letting God into what he's already proven, what he's already shown. He's like, look, the only sign that you're going to get out of me is the sign of Jonah. It's the sign of the death, burial, and resurrection. And he's going, man, John the Baptist, who was the greatest guy ever that lived in the old covenant, he would kill to live into this era. He says, even the person that's least in the kingdom of heaven, even the least person in this room can see God less than John. He's going, open your heart. Your heart is callous. Your heart is hard. Your heart is, is, is rigid with expectation. Your heart is riddled with, with entitlement and lacking of thankfulness. And the thing that blocks you from believing is not actually because you haven't heard something great or seen something real lately. It's because your eyes aren't open and because, because your heart isn't awake and alive because you're expecting something so myopically, looking for something over here, you're completely missing all that God is doing. God is saving people. God is, is, is restoring people. God is healing people in my life. Like, I, that's the little thing. I'm literally in my, in my pity party. This is a couple weeks ago, and Kyra's like, oh, yeah, do you remember this kid? And then that story reminded me of this kid from youth group, and then this happened, and then this happened. This person was healed, and this person, this miracle happened. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. It's amazing how blind my heart can make me. When we want to shop for Honda Pilots, all we see is Honda Pilots. And when we want to shop for disappointment, we can certainly find it. But the gateway, the path towards belief is, is not actually like, you know, more forcing myself to think things that I ought to think. The gateway belief is humility. It's honor. It's forgiveness. It's joy. It's thankfulness. These are the themes that we'll look at. We'll spend three weeks in the beginning of the segment looking at the three enemies, I think, the three roadblocks, the stumbling blocks to faith. Things like entitlement, things like pride will kill your faith. He says, if you want to lose your faith, act like a professor before me. Act like you know the answers and you're waiting on me to get on your time clock. That's how you lose your vision of God. That's how you're going to lose your perspective. That's how you're going to walk around in the dark for years and years and years in front of all these miracles and beautiful things that your children will see easily, but you'll see because you can't see because you're blind to them, when you go into God like you're the expert and you're waiting for him to get on your page. You can't be surprised if you can't see God. He's like, children are wired to see faith. And this is our kind of landing passage today that I think will lead us into response. At this time, at the very end of the passage, he says, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. This is what the passage is, is saying. This is what we're looking at for the next couple of weeks, is that blindness isn't coming from lack of proof or from lack of theory, but blindness comes from a hardness of heart and from 
a, uh, a rigid expectation that God owes us something. And he says, if you don't want to see God, then be a wise man. Walk into the prayer morning and say, God, I know that this is the, the situation, and God, I know what you're going to do, and God, uh, I'm just going to wait here until you get done what I think you're going to get done. And there will be a limited access to who God is. But he's saying if you can come instead like a child and say, I don't know, teach me. This is what he says in verse 28. I'll invite the, the band to come forward here. But this is what it says in verse 28. 28. A passage about vision, a passion about seeing, passage about seeing God. Come to me, all you who are weary and are burdened, and I will give you rest. I want to tell you good news today that faith isn't about sowing in some seed to some church to help you believe in God more. Faith isn't about, you know, going out and trying to walk on water. Faith isn't about straining in to believe something that isn't there or just speaking things out as though they weren't and just kind of playing a brain game with yourself. Like, you no, know, faith, as Jesus is saying, is not about straining and trying harder. Faith is about releasing and, 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 and letting go more than it is than grabbing hold. He says, come to me if you want to have faith. Come to me if you want to see me. The invitation isn't intellectual. The invitation is relational. The invitation is to come like a child. It's to forget the things you know. It's to forget the expectations. It's to lay down the demands. It's to come forward to him with an open heart to receive me. He's like, if you can come to me, you will not leave this room discouraged this morning. Your, your encouragement is not found in, in some turned over expectation or some answered prayer. Your encouragement comes when we come like a child. This is the invitation. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened. This is what it says. You're going to take on a yoke. A yoke means a teaching. You're going to learn from me. You're going um, to say, God, you know the reason why I'm disappointed? It's probably not because you haven't answered a prayer. It's probably because I don't see you the right way. So I start there. I don't start with the expectation. I start with expectancy. I just say, I don't know how, where you're going to be good, but I know you're good, so show me where you're being good now. I don't want to miss what you're doing by getting stuck on what you haven't done yet. So we come into that prayer, even now, in a moment, or on Monday morning, and we say, God, I don't know. I don't know. I don't have the yoke. I don't have the teaching. I don't have the wisdom. I don't have the understanding. That prayer is so much more powerful than, God, this is the way that you're going to move. This is the only thing. You're going to heal this way. You're going to work this way. You're going to move this way. And I'm not moving until you do this in my neighborhood. Jesus said, that's not the way that children act. Children don't know. Children come in and say, teach me. Children say, show me. Children say, Abba. Children say, Father. This is the way that faith is birthed. You're going to find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let's stand and respond this morning. But these are the prayer um, points that I think might set us into a childlike faith for this entire segment to see God, not to try harder, but to see him and to be made like the one we're beholding. Jesus, the first one, Jesus, meet me. You see that prayer? You see how there's nothing transactional about that? You see how meet me just starts with, I'm coming towards you and I, I'm engaging you relationally. So even if you don't have the right answer, even if I don't get the answer, even if I forget what the answer is, the goal is not a transaction or understanding. The goal is connection. That's what the goal is. That's what the goal for our prayer time in the morning, in the evening, and, and in the daily rhythms of our life. It's connection. Even if it's disappointing news, Lord, even if it means that I'm gonna decay in this prison and eventually be decapitated in, in, in a gruesome death, God, connect me to you. Abide me to you. I have everything I have with you. I have nothing without you. Connect me. The second thing is, Jesus, teach me. You see how it's asking him to show you what the world is about? You're asking him to interpret the finances. You're asking him to interpret your marriage. You're saying, I don't know what the answer is. 
You say, well, I know the answer because my wife did it and my husband did it and if they would just do this and then everything would be great. It's like, no, no, no. I'm not the master. I'm not the teacher. You're the teacher. I don't decide the curriculum. Teach me. Lastly, Jesus, show me. Even pray now. What if vision, what if, what if, the, what if the thing that's going to spark joy into your heart right now is the vision of Jesus and who he is, his, his countenance smiling on you is really the joy that you're lacking. And what if it was just a prayer away? What if you didn't have to miss this season? What if you didn't have to be embarrassed about the fact that you spent a season complaining about what God hasn't done and totally missed years of what he is doing? God, show me what you're doing in my life so I might be a part of it, so I might partner with you, I might yoke with you. Jesus, I thank you for opening eyes. I thank you for causing blindness to dissipate. I thank you for even disappointments, God, that are going to span our horizons to see you in bigger and brighter ways. I thank you for doing more than we ask and imagine, and I'm expectant for what you're going to do in our family. In Jesus' name, amen. We at City Lights are so grateful to have worshiped with you today. We are a church that exists to be followers of Jesus who are devoted to building family, blessing neighborhoods, and bringing good news to the nations. For more information on our church, visit our website at www.citylights.cc and give us a follow on Instagram or Facebook. We hope you can join us again soon.